All right, Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb. Is it herb or herb? Is it humble or humble? Every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, and every tree which yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Can you say good? Amazing, intelligent design is an undeniable evidence for the existence of the Creator. There's a group of optometrists in another state that promote the creation of the eye on their websites with this video. Watch this. The reflected light of the world enters through the crystal transparency of the cornea, aqueous humor, lens, and vitreous humor to project onto the photoreceptors of the retina, whose impulses converge on the optic nerve and then to the brain.
Romans 1 says that evidence for the Creator is, is visible. He gave us eyes to see His evidence. Something that cannot be duplicated with technology and certainly with chance. The ability to see doesn't come through feelings. doesn't come through bumping into stuff. It's a whole system that has to work. Otherwise, it's a useless appendage in the body. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which we had done. Can we say he was finished? And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. The last verse of chapter 1 says, God saw everything he had made and indeed it was good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then the seventh day, this is the first full day of man's existence, man gets blessed with a day off, a day of rest, a day set apart for relating with God. In verse 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the ground and watered the whole face of the earth. So chapter 1 of Genesis is the big picture, zoomed out. It's like it's the architect chapter, the planning, and then chapter 2 zooms in to the creation of man not a contradiction. It's, I used to have a picture of a Big Mac, and I would show it to you guys, remember? And they'd say, what is this? You'd say, it's a Big Mac. And then I would zoom it out a little. It's a Big Mac in a tire. There would be a big tire wrapped around the Big Mac. And then i zoom it out a little bit more, and there would be Reba's face. It was Reba McIntyre. <laughs> so chapter one has been zoomed out. Chapter two is going to zoom in. Verse 2 again, on the seventh day, the God ended his work which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So he rested not because he was tired, not because he was frustrated, not because he needed a day off or a vacation. He rested because he was finished. He rested because he was done. Can we say done? Done. He got her done. And he rested and blessed man who was made in the sixth day with a day of rest. A day, I dare say, of communing with God. We're going to talk to you today on Jesus in Genesis, resting in his finished works. God rested because he was done, and Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father. When you're sitting, your legs are resting, right? Those chairs, when they were new, were real comfortable. It's easy to rest in them. Some people even catch naps in them. I saw somebody 
in the early service today. <laughs> Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father because he was done. It was finished. And we are blessed with the finished works of Christ. So we start by resting in Christ. We start where he finished. End of sermon. Let's go home. Back to the text. All right. First point, God rested after he had finished his work of creation. We just saw that. Second point, his son sat down after finishing his work of redemption. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1. Page 1196. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So Jesus, as the Creator, rested on the seventh day, and as the Redeemer, rested on the day he ascended to the throne. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, when did that happen? Finished work on the cross. It is finished. Debt is paid. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand the majesty on high. And we who are redeemed are blessed to have a high priest sitting at the throne of God, resting, having finished the work of redemption for you and I. Chapter 12 of Hebrews tells us to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So he endured the cross not for the joy of the shame, he despised that, but for the joy that was before him. And has sat down, here's the joy, at the right hand of the throne of God, the position of authority, because he is done. He is finished. And he sent the Holy Spirit who is Christ working with us in the earth. Not to get us the victory, but to help us walk in the victory that is already ours. That's why we're more than conquerors. A conqueror is somebody that has something to conquer. Oh, I've got to make it to the top of the hill. You ever play king of the hill as a kid? That, I think, was expelled as a kid for using a karate kick on a kid at King of the Hill. So we're more than conquerors. We don't have a hill to conquer. We have a victory to enforce. D-Day, remember D-Day when our troops invaded Europe? It was different than V-Day when the victory was accomplished. The papers were signed. The surrender 
was was uh, completed. Yet there are demons, evil in the world, even our own minds, that don't fully believe in his finished works. We don't really think the day happened. But the point is, our victory in Christ has been wrought, and we walk on the basis of the victory that he's given us. Does that make sense? Just as civil rights fighters fight for their rights on the basis of the Constitution that guarantees them. Now, there are certain subcultures out there who are trying to somehow turn themselves into a race or a gender, even trying to turn their genders, turn themselves into a minority. And um, I think Martin Luther King would roll over in his grave to see some of the nonsense happening in his name. All right, my third point. Christ promised rest for all the weary who come to him. So he rested when he redeemed us, and he promised rest even before going to the cross. Here's the promise he made in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So come into relationship with me. Be yoked up with me. This is agricultural talk. If you're a donkey going to plow a field, you don't want a sorry donkey beside you, right? Yet Jesus invites us to be yoked up with him. Help us carry the load. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have the greater one in us than he who is in the world. An easy yoke is one that was fashioned for the animal. You know, the carpenter or the carver made sure it fit right so it wasn't a hard yoke to bury. So here's a promise of rest to believers. Yet so many times we don't access it. The old hymn, I'll never get away from quoting it, Oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It seems to be a trend right now on social media to get people to pray for things, which is fine. But there's no substitute for us praying when we've got an issue, for us to exercise our faith. The promise isn't, you know, well, if you get 10,000 people praying about something, I'll do something. I mean, God's not up there keeping count. How many, Gabriel, are they at now, right now? Well, 10,000, well, let's let them get a couple more, and then we'll answer their prayer. No, the promise is where two or three ask, agree in prayer. It'll be done by my Father in heaven. Well, I need a super Christian. The classification thing. I really appreciate the honor given us today, but if you read Ephesians 4, those offices or functions, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers are not capitalized. They're functions. And why do they exist? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's the sevenfold ministry of Jesus. I thought it was fivefold, but seven. Jesus, who gives gifts to men, and he gives what's commonly called the fivefold, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Got the order out of right. 
for the equipping of the saints. There's the seventh one. If it's just big shots doing the work of the ministry, we are in trouble. Maybe that's part of the problem. We don't gather together to hear pep talks and go out and live life the same old way week after week. We shouldn't. We gather together to be strengthened in the faith and to go out and do even greater things for the Lord because we fight from a position of victory. That's where we're coming from today. All right, so the three points so far, God rested after he finished his work of redemption, of creation. His son sat down after finishing his work of redemption. Christ promised rest for all the weary who come to him. And the fourth point, yet Jesus' beneficial promise of rest can remain unreceived. Why? Because the Old Testament saints also had a promise of rest that they didn't receive. We who have a better covenant, it's possible for us in our independence to think we've got to worry, think we've got to be stressed, think we need to be anxious, otherwise things aren't going to work out because we don't care enough, we're getting robbed. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 1, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So we don't enter rest when we do not mix the word with faith. When we allow unbelief, skepticism to rule and reign in our lives, then church just becomes a religious thing rather than a life-giving practice, community of people that we're part of. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land, yet they didn't have rest. These are the people, the children of Abraham, who received the law of Moses given on the mountain in the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, fourth of which was the law of the Sabbath, who never entered into the rest. Did they try to practice the Sabbath? Yes, but it was in unbelief. Every seven years, they were to give their land a break. They never did. Every 50 years, they were to give their land to break the 49th year, their land to break the 50th year, and they were to give their debt, their, their debtees, the debtors were to give those people who owed them a break that year, the year of Jubilee. They never practiced it. They never entered into the rest. Yet the Sabbath day, they got over, I think now, a thousand technicalities that they've written up in the Talmud and the, and the Judaism Judaism's uh, commentaries on how to practice the Sabbath. 
working at resting and not enjoying it. Years ago, we were so blessed by another congregation in the city, and not wanting to dishonor them today, but I'm getting a point across, and I would tell them the same. We were there for a year and a half, very reasonable rates. We moved from there to Country Love Theater. We were there for six and a half years, and then we were in a school for a month, and then we were here. And, uh, so anyway, when we were there, our little church was growing, and we developed a need for a nursery. That happens when babies are born, right? And a shortage of nursery workers became evident. Back in our early days, I worked in nursery one Sunday. Not complaining, not even bragging, just part of church life. So we thought, hey, this is an ideal thing. This church where we're at celebrates the Sabbath on Saturday. That is the Sabbath. They celebrate it by having church. We don't because the Bible doesn't say you have to have church on the Sabbath day. It says it's to be a day of rest and not working. So we thought, you know, they're available Sunday. Maybe, you know, some of their senior citizens would love a chance to make some extra funds. We'll pay them well. They could help work our nursery. One person did it one Sunday, and then we couldn't get her to do it again. So I spoke to one of the elders of the church. Do you know of anybody else that could serve in the nursery when we use your building on Sunday? He said, well, actually, Sunday's our day off. It's our day of rest. Okay, all right. Let's move on. Celebrating the Sabbath, but not enjoying the rest that it was to provide. So they're resting on Sunday. Anyway, never mind. All right. For if Joshua had given them rest when he would not have afterwards spoken of another day, verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So through unbelief, we do not enjoy the benefits of what the Lord has provided. The Bible has an even number of verses. Therefore, there is no middle verse. But the last verse of the first half of the Bible says these words, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The second half of the Bible is the very next verse, right? Starts the second half. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And the benefit is the rest that he gives. We do not have to worry, we just trust is there room for obedience in the Christian life? By all means, room for good works? Oh, yes. We're not saved and useless. We're saved and useful. But we're saved by the finished works of Christ. It is finished. That's where we begin, resting in his finished work, not worrying about him holding you like this, but he holds us like this in his hand and calls us to do his will from a position of victory. Read the fine print. You all have heard the parable of the guy that bought a ticket to sail from Europe to America, 
and didn't have any money left over for food, so he packed up some cheese and crackers and just slowly starved across the Atlantic Ocean, barely made it. Sometimes he would look in the dining hall just pining for the hot, steaming plates of food that he saw the people in there eating. So when they arrived in New York City, he gets off the boat, walks down the gangway, and there's the captain greeting everybody. And the captain of the ship greeted him. It's nice to meet you, sir. Thank you for sailing with us. But I don't think I met you before. What table did you sit at? He said, um, well, I couldn't afford to eat in the dining room, so I, you know, I packed some snacks and stuff. Said, the captain said, let me see your ticket. So he turned the ticket over to fine print and says, look at this. It says, meals provided. Guy lived below his privileges. He didn't read the fine print. Shake Anderson, our own worship pastor. I miss him. He was with us for eight years. He told me this amazing story. Career musician, professional since he was the age of 14. Um, in his 40s, he played with a band that was made up of young guys that had a starving artist mentality. We're, we're going to have to tough it out. And they went on tour with Bruce Hornsby. They went on tour with Bonnie Raitt. They went on tour with some big bands, and they're opening for them. And they're traveling in a scout pulling a U-Haul trailer. Now, Shake's a big man. Imagine him in a scout with three other men. Crammed in there. It's just miserable. And he would show them the fine print of their, of their contract. He said, look, we get a tour bus. They would back this trailer in between these giant tour buses, you know, some stars have their own bus, and then there's another one for the band. And then 18-wheelers hauling their gear, and here these guys are. And then there's food for us at these things. Oh, no, no, our manager told us that they'll take it out of our check if we do that. We've got to make money. He said, that's not true. Well, you know, what does an old man know? These young guys had it all going on, right? We're starving artists. We're trying to make it. Well, <clears throat> eventually the scout broke down, so they now had to rent a U-Haul truck. And one night, they had a wreck. Shake was sleeping up in Grandma's attic. You've seen the U-Haul with the little overlap over the cab. It's called Grandma's attic. He was sleeping up there. They turned that thing into a living room, part of it cordoned off with their gear tied down, and then some furniture in there to rest and sleep on. He's sleeping in there when this thing ran off the road and got damaged. It didn't roll or anything. Thank the Lord, he survived. So they call the tour company. Guess what? The tour company sends them one of those big buses. And he said, see, guys, see what I've been telling you? See what you've been missing? When we get to heaven, maybe the 30 minutes of silence is shock and awe at what we were missing out on. Celebrate Recovery and the Conquer series and ministries like that exists to help people overcome strongholds, to gain victory over addictions. And there's an acrostic, F-A-R. Can you say far? F stands for forgetting. A stands for anxiety or being anxious. And R stands for relapse. You don't want to relapse, right? So the key is to figure out what's the trigger. Where does it all start? Well, it all starts with anxiety. Anxiety leads to 
short-sightedness, depression, worry, uh, intolerance, anger, overreaction. But where does anxiety come from? It's not just to say, you know, don't be anxious, stop being anxious. You're anxious. You can't help it, right? So where does that come from? That comes from forgetting. Forget not all of his benefits. So if you want to walk in victory over addictions, don't wait till you're having a relapse and feel all condemned, but check yourself. When you see anxiety come on, that's a sign to start digging in and reminding yourself and being reminded of those principles, those truths, maybe even things you don't know to strengthen you in your faith. Does that make sense? Amen. So if you've gone into relapse, you've gone too far. So don't go far. Stay close and catch yourself when you're forgetting. Now, I know as Americans... We've got, you know, some of the best education in the world. We know a lot of stuff. And it's possible to know a lot of trivial stuff. Think we got containers in our brains for trivial stuff. Anybody watch Jeopardy? All right. Not throwing rocks at that. But it's important that our theology, our understanding, our faith, and the truth of the gospel is not in the trivial container in our brains. That it's words of life that I live by. I love the book of Ephesians, and I love the book of Colossians. I see similarities in them. And just generally speaking, the first half of each of those books start with our position in Christ, what we have in him, what he's done for us. And we miss it because we think, oh, this is just Paul's prayer. Let's get down to the good stuff where my wife has to submit to me. And the wife say, let's get down to the good stuff where my husband has to love me like Jesus loved the church. Let's get down to the good stuff where our children have to obey us. The second half is the practical Christian living thing. But that is in the second half of the book. The first part is where we start, the day of rest, resting in the finished work of Christ. His prayer was that we would come to know the fullness of grace that is available to us in Christ. You know, he gives us grace for grace. I think part of the problem is attention deficit. It's not ADD. It's just not paying attention long enough. So the things of the world capture our attention the most. Maybe it's the bill collector. Maybe it's the words of a medical professional. Maybe it's somebody who's refusing to reconcile with you. It captures our attention, and we're focusing on that when the Lord's like, over here, hey, when you're done, I'm still here. I'm still standing. You stand in the position of rest in me. I love worship. I love praise. It reminds us of stuff that's so important. Our living hope. We can come to the altar to give him our things. And I enjoy the motions that, that worship can generate. All right? But I do not live, we must not live by those emotions, whether you feel it or not. He is your living hope. We've got to be reminded of that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you, Lord, that mankind's first day of living was a day of rest. Help us, Lord, 
to look for ways to rest in you, to recognize when we're not resting, and to look for what am I forgetting? And Lord, to actually be people of prayer, people that really do carry everything to you in prayer, that really do cast all our cares on you, Lord. Take us beyond the conceptual into the actual, from truisms into the truth and reality of our lives in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, if anyone here has not truly embraced you fully as their Savior, 24-7, their Lord and Savior, trusted you with their life, their children, their career, their business, their ministry, and their future, I pray, Lord, they would surrender it all to you today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Can we sing, come to the altar again? Can we do that? Yeah, I, I know, I know. I threw him a curve in the first service. Now I'm going back. We've got more time in this to actually apply this song. Singing this song and not doing what it says bothers me. And so now we've got some time. It's only 1045 in Denver. We've got time to come to the altar, to make an altar, to... to rest in the Lord. Do not get up until you have fully surrendered your future to Him and you leave here resting in the Lord. Sure, you've got battles to fight. Sure, there's problems to face. But the story ain't over. I'm still standing and I know how it ends because I fight from a position of victory. Does that make sense? Or you're hurting and broken within Overwhelmed by the weight of sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to. was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Who oh, come to the altar? The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness.
resting in the Lord doesn't mean you have a license to go out and sin. It means you live a life inspired. Inspiration instead of condemnation. Appreciation instead of desperation. In talking about this rest that we could miss out on, just to read this verse again, verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has ceased from his works as God did from his. You rest in the fact that you're secure in him. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The chapter ends with these words in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, the one who sat down because he was done, right? Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He'll give you the help you need to trust Him. Lord, I'm wrestling with my trust right now. Help. Come boldly. He knows what that's like. He had to entrust His life into the Father's. Well, Lord, I've been betrayed. He knows what that's like. I've been abandoned. He knows what that's like. I've been tempted. He knows what that's like. Every issue we have, He understands and He's able to help able to help us. He knows not just because he's God and has omniscience and knows everything. He knows by experience because he's one of us. He became man. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Peace that passes understanding. The peace that doesn't come from compromise, but the peace that comes from overwhelming victory that's based on the finished work of Christ. It is already done. Trust Him. Amen. Your life's an adventure. Who wants to buy a book or watch a movie where nothing wrong ever happens, right? There's just things in the world that just don't want to recognize that V-Day has happened. We're to enforce his victory. Amen. Go get him, Tyler. God bless you. Oh, what a Savior. Savior is in